Welcome to another episode, episode 12, this is, of the Anxiety Lab. I'm Sagar Bhatt. My guest today is, uh, it's actually my first repeat guest. Uh, this is Kimberly Brown. She was the first guest I had on this podcast. Also my first meditation teacher, and I got a lot of great uh, feedback on that episode. Everyone loved Kim, and so I, I wanted to have her back. This time we get a little bit more into generosity and gratitude and some other stuff. And Kim is, you know, I'll... I'll talk to her as often as I can. She's just so warm and compassionate and and has an amazing perspective on things. And you need not have listened to that first episode in order to listen to this one. Although if you enjoy this one, please go back and listen to that or any other episode for that matter. Uh, each episode can kind of stand alone and can be listened to in any order. And as as some of you know, and you, if you're a new listener, will find out we don't really talk about anything topical. I, I try to make each episode evergreen, as they say. Uh, the themes are are more just about the humanness. So hope you like that. Hope that has value to you. So at this point, I want to make an announcement. Big announcement. Few, 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 few. That's my uh, that's my announcement. Side of sound effect. Maybe for you that had side effects. Um, but but the announcement is is just this. After this episode, the Anxiety Lab will be going on hiatus. And, and so I'm, I'm calling this the final episode of season one. That brings us to 12 episodes total. I think that's a nice, tidy number. It's on par with some of the prestige dramas on TV. So that, that's what's happening, and we'll be back for season two after a hiatus. And some of you might be wondering, well, I didn't know it was a seasonal podcast. I thought you're just going to keep cranking them out, dude. Well... I didn't really know it was seasonal either, but I, I think over the last couple of weeks I've been thinking about it, and I, I think for this type of content, like this isn't weekly hot takes on the news, and, and so what I'm trying to do here, I, it really requires some investigation, and it requires some slowing down, and up until now, it's been a nice balance of you know having enough things to say, having things I want to share, having conversations um, with people that I, I want to talk to. And I still want to do all that stuff. But right now I'm, I'm feeling like what's needed more for me personally is just to maybe slow back down again and actually live some of the stuff we've been talking about, like cultivating self-compassion, cultivating compassion and, and developing that mindfulness, that, that awareness over all of these ways that I'm suffering, all of these ways that I'm clinging to delusions like impermanence and identity and and that requires, you know, stillness and 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 that and that's kind of my goal with this podcast is I never want me talking about this stuff to outpace my own investigation and practice, you know, in a way where I actually can figure out things that are worth talking about, not just content for content's sake. The other thing is, okay, like last week I, I listened to a Tara Brock talk. And I was doing it while I was like cleaning and stuff. And then this Saturday, I you know sat down with my breakfast and ready to listen to a different talk. And then I was like, wait a minute, why don't I just re-listen to the talk? I don't think I really absorbed everything. I, I you know my attention span is I, I often forget things. And and so I re-listened to the talk, and I just 
caught so many things that I didn't pick up the first time or things that I had already forgotten in those few days. And and I think more and more with this stuff, it's it's not just about getting new information. It's almost like there's this, I think my anxiety keeps wanting new, new, new information because it thinks that there's some solution out there. But it's like I already have enough that I've already heard that I can work with. And it's more just about putting in the practice concepts and things that I've already been sent my way, whether it's through a book or something that someone said in conversation or something that my therapist said to me. And so that's, yeah, I think I I always like rereading books that I love has always been, you know, I, I never regret doing that. And that's, yeah, that's kind of where I am with this podcast. I, I hope that you can go back and re-listen, or if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, I, I put a lot of thought and time into them. So check them out. And yeah, that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, stay subscribed because I will be putting more episodes out for sure. I already have some interviews lined up that I'm excited about. And you can follow me on Instagram, S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T. That's also in the episode description if you want to just keep up with anything I'm uh, doing. And I'll definitely be posting about future episodes on there as well. And of course, email me. This is a good time um, now that we're entering a end of era, theanxietylab at gmail.com. That's also in the episode description. I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know what worked for you this season, what you'd like to see different. Um, I'm always curious and I always love hearing um, anyone's thoughts who, who wants to hit me up. And write me a review, goddammit, if you haven't already. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you. But but if you haven't already, if you've enjoyed any of these episodes, if you're listening now, uh, it's your way to support. If you can, I don't I don't ask for money for Patreon or I, I'm not doing any ads or anything, but uh, would love a review. Most of you have access to Apple Podcasts and are able to throw me a rating regardless of whatever platform you're using to listen. I'm looking at you, listeners on Overcast. Great platform, by the way. Great place to listen to pods. Uh, If you could throw me that rating, that'd be awesome. What else can I see in terms of my listenership? Country. Let's look at... uh, Looks like I have one listener in Denmark. So if you're in Denmark right now hearing this, I'm I'm talking to you, John. And if I got your name right, you have to Venmo me $1,000. And if you can't do that, throw me a rating. Anyway, I'll stop being ridiculous and say something sincere, which is, you know, it it means a lot to me that I've been able to kind of do this podcast and have listeners. And, you know, I started it as an experiment and I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I was kind of in a weird place with comedy and not really sure about what to do creatively and and, in a little bit of a funk. And this has been one of the most fulfilling things I've I've ever done and, and put out. And so thanks for, yeah, being an audience for that. And there is plenty more to come, as I said, and there's more to come literally right now. This is my episode with the amazing Kimberly Brown. You can find her at meditationwithheart.org. And her book, which I recommend, is Steady, Calm, and Brave. You can get that on Amazon or I think from her website too. It's cool. Yeah, I didn't record this episode knowing that it would be the last one of the season, but it is cool to end this run with with the same person that that we started with. So here's Kimberly Brown. Please enjoy. Hello, Kim. It's nice to see you. Hello, Sagar. So yeah, I want to get into this chapter from your amazing book, Steady, Calm, and Brave, regarding sharing. Now, it struck me 
a couple things struck me. One, just just the idea of you know generosity isn't a very sexy one to me when I'm getting into I guess Buddhist wisdom. It's it's never juicy or stimulating the way that other concepts like non-self and impermanence are. Uh, but this one is is I would say something that I don't I don't consider enough. Just and it, and it I, I I feel like I sound a little bit. Um, it, it's a it's a surprising thing to say out loud that I don't consider others enough. But I really don't. I'm ashamed to say. Wait, Sagar, do you mean you don't consider others enough or you don't consider giving enough? Both. I, I just don't think of – I'm just in my own self-obsessed, anxious brain of fear combined with narcissism, combined with worrying that there's not a lot of room for other people to enter my headspace. You know, it, it, it's very self-oriented and that's, you know, one of the, the big – themes of maybe this podcast and the work that I'm doing is is how fixated I am on my own story and that being a, a detriment. Well, I'm not I don't disagree, but I guess I would subtly reframe that because I think the reason you're not having a sense of contentment and fulfillment is not the story's not the cause the okay right it's it's the belief in the story or the attachment to the story um but the story's just it's just a story it's there from causes and conditions you learned it it's not really it's not your fault or anybody's fault that any of us have our stories um Right. But it's because we, you know, are are holding on so fast to them. So the, the story we're talking about is my own assessment of how self-obsessed I am? Yes. Mm. Yes, that's a big part of your story. I mean, what I'm saying is that I, I, I think, you know, I'm assuming that, okay, I need to be in my head. I need to plan the next week. I need to figure all this stuff out, and that will eventually lead to some amount of fulfillment, you know, when in reality, I think being more oriented outwards towards others, listening to others, being with others, just, you know, witnessing the experience of others is where more fulfillment is available. Well, I think there's a po- that's a possibility, but it really begins with listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. So in that chapter on giving, on generosity... Um, it doesn't mean just giving to other people. It means having a spirit of giving to yourself as well. And that can look like, you know, giving yourself time, giving yourself space, giving yourself kindness. Um, It doesn't have to necessarily be in the sense of material things. Yeah, I mean, I guess not, yeah. So what you're saying is not giving because we have to, but giving... You know, once we maybe tap into our own sense of abundance, that we do have stuff to give. Yes. And then it becomes, and I think that's that first critical step. I'm not, I mean, this is something we've touched upon maybe the last time we talked, and I probably talked about it more. <laughs> um, but just this idea of, you know, if I give, if I do anything because I'm doing it in order to convince myself I'm good 
I'm a good person rather than generosity. Let, let's take the example of I go to a soup, you know, I'll give a homeless guy $20. And okay, well, either way, regardless of my intention, it's $20 for the homeless guy. But I think if I do it out of a, a feeling of abundance rather than I have to do this to convince myself I'm not a piece of shit, then it's it's more sustainable. I'd, I'd be more able to do that, you know, on a regular basis in a way that doesn't drain me. Yes, that's exactly it, Sagar. Um, because so many of us feel we... Um, that we don't have anything to give or that we're... Um, that we overlook our goodness, right? All of our good qualities, our kindness, our joy, our love, our wisdom. Um, Since we overlook that, we don't think we have it. That's one way we don't think we have enough. But we also never think we have enough money or goods. You know, that's why capitalism works, right? It's always this sense of lacking. And because of that, then we're in this perpetual state of, of stinginess, right? And we can't give. But um, if you start to pay attention, that's why mindfulness works, and this, that's why gratitude practices work. Mm. They start to enable us to see what we have and not just focus on what we lack. Because, of course, we lack things, too. Um, but we have all that we need in order to be you know, generous people. We're, we're kind and generous all the time. And we have lovingness and compassion, but we overlook it. So that's exactly what we're talking about, Sagar, being able to see that you do indeed have all these qualities. And, you know, we can also just redefine what our concept of giving is. It it doesn't just have to be uh, I'm donating X amount to this charity or I have an afternoon to go volunteer somewhere. I mean, that stuff's amazing. But it, it's just, you know, on my walk this morning to get coffee, I can be just a little bit more outward and I could smile to someone. I can just just maybe hold people in my awareness in a way that, that I'm not when I'm just stuck in my head. Now, you know, a cynic would say, well, what's that doesn't do anything but make me feel better. But no, I don't know. I think on a long-term basis, if that's my – if that's the way that I exist, then that will help me – you know, that'll lead to things that happen in a more tangible way if I'm just holding others, you know, a little bit more or if I smile to a stranger, you know, make some meaningful, non-creepy eye contact to a stranger uh, just just in, in, in warmth, then that might just give them a little bit of a lift. And I, I do really think that that stuff matters, you know, and, and that's, you know, a domino effect. Yes, that's exactly it, Sagar, exactly it. And also what you're pointing out is deep, deep wisdom. Because recognizing that you have um, something to give others, that you can give others, is also recognizing this deep connection we all have. Right? Just like you, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody. Mm. Just like you, everybody wants to connect. So making that connection in this sense of shared humanity... Well, yes, that changes everything, Sagar. That changes everything. That's deep wisdom of interdependence, right? And if we all recognize that, we're going to make a lot of different decisions for ourselves and for the world. 
Yeah. So let me let me read now from uh, this chapter, uh, and and what I love about this book is I think it's twenty five, right? Yes. Chapters that are each about three pages that are. I, I've said this before, this is a little bit of a first aid kit for these times. Um, very accessible and approachable for newcomers to meditation and mindfulness, also for uh, enlightened bodhisattvas such as myself. There are also things that I can gain from it by reading and rereading. And one of the chapters is on sharing. Uh, During unsettling and upsetting times like this pandemic, many of us will feel particularly ungenerous and even greedy because we're scared that we don't have enough. A good way to notice what we do have is to practice gratitude. Being grateful doesn't mean overlooking problems or hardships. Rather, it offers us a more balanced view of our lives. It enables us to notice that we have both resources and deficits, sufferings and joys, difficulties and ease, which help us feel more generous and less discouraged. And and I guess, I mean, I wanted to, I guess, point to this first part of the passage just kind of speaking to this feeling of deprivation during unsettling and upsetting times like this pandemic, many of us feel particularly ungenerous and even greedy because we're scared that we don't have enough. Now, I would say that that applies to me even not in a pandemic. I'm always greedy and worried about myself and feeling like, well, holy shit, you know, I got to look after me and that's the most important thing. Yes, and you're not alone, Sagar. It doesn't make you a bad person. Um, because most of us uh, haven't learned to look um, at what we have, it's we many of us have a sense all the time, in good times and bad, of lack, of not enoughness. I mean, Sagar, look at our country. We have people that have billions of dollars, and they keep acquiring more money. Yeah, there's a sense of greed there, and I don't see that in a way of um, evilness, I mean an, um, an inability to see when you have enough, right? And when you can see you have enough, well, A, that takes mindfulness, right, to pay attention to what's really happening and what you have, and B, it takes wisdom to understand that you, that you can give. You know, that you can give it away or you can give yourself kindness. Um, in a certain way, it's, a, it's understanding what's valuable, too, what's, mm. and what's not valuable. Years ago, IDP, or years ago, um, I and some other colleagues, meditation teachers, met with a teacher called the Galwang Drupa. His Holiness, the Galwang Drupa. He is um, a very famous teacher who lives in Nepal and is the head of a big Tibetan lineage. And he also is the, um, the founder of several um, NGOs that help in that part of the world. Each year he comes to the U.S. to the U.N. for their um, annual meeting. And we were lucky on two different occasions for him to meet with us um, just out of the kindness of his heart. You know, it was really we cold called him and asked if he would meet with us and he did we asked him Sagar what is the most important thing for our students to know and he's Mm. you know he's he's a Rinpoche and he's very you know a Tibetan teacher we thought he'd say something about the Buddha or I don't know being a Bodhisattva or something and he said you must let your your students know 
I'm going to say that again. You must let your students know their lives are valuable. You must let your students know their lives are valuable. Mm. And what he meant was each of us have compassion, kindness, love, wisdom, and we can share it. And all of our actions can come from those qualities so we can benefit ourselves and others, right? Every word could be beneficial. Every thought could be beneficial. Every action can be beneficial and or not harming, right? But either way, um, our lives are infinitely valuable, even though, you know, I was kind of taught the opposite. Nothing matters. Yeah, thank you for that. I I want to go back to a couple of things you said, uh, you know, this idea of that's a part of me too. I can't just say, oh, look at these greedy billionaires wanting more. I mean, I, I, I think their actions might have more worldly consequences than me um, spending $5 on a coffee on a, on a cheap day. You know, sometimes you get these pour overs, they, they run you up $7 with the tip, <laughs> which is generosity. But, you know, isn't there, I mean, it's not just greed. It, it's what we're talking about is a delusion. It, it's a delusion of a, a certain type of security being available if we just get enough, if we just accumulate enough stuff. Now, obviously, you know, material needs need to be met and all of that, but I'm, I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about, you know, a billionaire who's, who's feeling as though if he gets another $2 billion or if he, he acquires another company, there will be some, some permanent level of security available, and it just doesn't exist in this world. Right? Yes, and that's perfect because that's, soccer. you have a lot of wisdom because what you just said about delusion. Hell yeah. That is, that's the deep ignorance that underlies greed, that underlies hatred, that underlies ignorance, right? It's this delusion that um, everything could be permanent, right? We could make things permanent even though they're not. And that we can have this sort of security of this permanence, right? The security being like, I'll have enough. I'll be the best. Uh, I won't die. Uh, I'm going to save everybody. Uh, whatever that delusion might be, it's created from this, this deep ignorance of really who we are. And, and who we are are our living creatures. We, our lives are impermanent, and in fact, all phenomena are impermanent, right? We'll all grow older and get sick. We'll all eventually die. So yeah. those are truths. Um, and also, this um, we're interconnected. None of us live, can possibly live alone, you know, without the support of others, other beings. Right. So, yeah, so if we drop this, this, this if, if we're able to see this, finish line that many of us, I have in my head of, well, this will, once I get there, I'll be good. If that doesn't mm-hmm. exist, then yeah, we're all just swimming around in vulnerable in this kind of chaotic shitstorm of reality. Then that does lend to more compassion towards other and connection with others that, that we're all a part of this, you know, at times scary, at times beautiful world. Yes, yes. The teacher Robert Thurman, he's a uh, he's an older man, a professor uh, at Columbia and a Tibetan former monk, uh, the the head of Tibet House here in New York City. He's a wonderful teacher, and he has this metaphor where he says, you know, well, let's pretend we're on a subway 
and you know it's filled with people and we learn that we will be there together forever how might we respond to everybody in there well right uh, right now what would you do well if somebody was sick we'd make sure they were well if somebody were dangerous we'd set them aside we'd probably you know create committees and order and how to run the place wisely for all and his point is that's that is our situation on planet earth yeah and and there's no there's no place to get to where we're separate from everyone else i I think that's the delusion Mm -hmm. too is that i can somehow get out of this yeah and it's not only there's this idea you can get out of this a there's nowhere to go there's literally nowhere to go you know even this fantasy in our head like i'll have a fantasy of somehow being able to look down on the earth and what's going on or you know that i'll have some views separate that's not it's that's all fantasy and then of course the idea that i could live off the you know uh, away from other beings i mean even if you and i moved off the grid somewhere sagar right we're still dependent on the air and the wind and the and all the other thing elements that make up our dependency on each other in the world yeah i mean and and this interdependence it, it it's such definitive and accessible counter evidence to this notion that I am separate. Like, even if I have this thought, I am separate, well, that thought is being had by a brain that's being energized by my body that's fed by, you know, that I'm feeding with food that's coming from different parts of the earth and people's efforts and all of that. So, um, yeah, I guess the closer you look at this claim that I stand apart from the rest of the world, which which is such a deeply embedded feeling, uh, the closer you look at it, the more it falls apart. Uh, the second thing I wanted to ask you is I... I I'm wondering if it's also, you know, another aspect of the delusion is is kind of my flawed roadmap in, in, as far as what will grant me happiness and fulfillment. You know, because I'm I'm I guess the reason I spend all this time on myself and why I sometimes feel, um, like I can't be bothered to help others because I need to work on my own stuff and advance my own things. Well, why do I want to do that? Is because I guess if I do that stuff, it will eventually lead to some level of contentment and happiness. But in reality, I mean, the more I connect with others, the more I give of myself, I, I realize that that stuff is is actually feeding me more. So isn't that also a, a delusion, this, this flawed roadmap? It is. And there, I have a couple comments on that like first i just want to i just want to reframe this idea of good and you know and should right i should do this that would make me a good person um first of all you are a good person right everyone has goodness in them um, many people make mistakes. Many people um, are dangerous and, and behave in, in harmful ways. Um, it doesn't make them bad or good. You know, it's really smart to kind of reframe that, right? Yeah. And so, and also the should, I don't know that anybody should do anything. What I would suggest is, starting as you are, and you already have said this several times, that you have the insight and the wisdom that things that you maybe were taught would make you happy and fulfilled don't. And I earlier said something about capitalism and the reason it doesn't really work, or the reason it does work, 
is because we have this perpetual sense, if we just get more, we'll be happy. And in fact, I learned that the definition of happiness for myself and to make others happy was to get what I wanted or to give you what you wanted. And that that would be making you happy or making me happy. But really, the definition of happiness is, you know, freedom in your own heart and mind, freedom from suffering, freedom from grasping, and also a, uh, and that requires then knowing you have enough, knowing your value, knowing, you know, what really is contentment. And that just, it's not that hard really, but it's not what we're taught because we are taught to just, you know, well, like you said, if I could get that, I'm going to feel good. Right. And you do, but it's so brief. Yeah. So you have to keep doing it over and over again. We talked in the beginning about yeah, doing things out of a, a place of, you know, I should do this versus a more generous kind of feeling of abundance. And I, I think the way to that is, you know, observation is I'm not going to go volunteer somewhere instead of getting a TV just because I'm forcing myself to. Well, let's let's observe what happens when I get the TV. Let's observe what happens when I take care of myself. Okay, this feels good. Okay, I, I've, and then let's observe what happens when I make eye contact with someone and cook dinner for my girlfriend or something else. And let, let's just see what that does to me on a, I, I guess, <laughs> on, on a felt basis. And over time, through observation, we can begin to recalibrate our roadmap. And then I think over time, maybe desire might shift a little bit towards generosity, right? I mean, but it, but it can't, yeah, as you said, it can't just start from that place of I should. No, it, it, then, then it's not really generosity. It's, um, it comes from sort of a, a sense of self-loathing or self-criticism. And that's when pity gets mixed up in there. So you'll see people, and I've done it too, you know, be generous because I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for those hungry kids. I feel sorry for that person who's struggling. And part of having true generosity and true wisdom is the idea of equalizing self and other. We all deserve love and kindness, we all um, suffer and struggle. So rather than pitying people, it's connecting with, wow, you are having a struggle. I know what it's like to be human and struggle. Maybe I don't have yours, Mm. but I have something to give you whatever I can, my time, my heart, my material goods to help you in this shared human experience of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess pity assumes a certain separation. It does. Yeah, it also assumes a certain hierarchy. Oh, right. for you. Yeah, I guess you're, we're, we're looking, is there a little bit of a condescension to pity? I think so, Sagar. What do you that think? That makes us feel as though whatever that person's dealing with, well, we, we're better than that. Rather than an opening of, of this being part of the human condition, not just their condition versus our condition. Yes. 
again, that's wisdom too, to begin to understand as you experience the fragility and impermanence of life. Um, I think you're right that as children, not all of us, but many of us, you know, grew up in kind of in, in a nice, easy way with the goods that we needed without sickness. Um, but as you grow older, you realize, oh, yeah, this happens. It happens everywhere. It happens to close friends. It happens to me. Uh, and then you, you can start to s appreciate that. Appreciate that you aren't the special one, right? That somehow it's in, in your life you're not going to experience this. You'll avoid it. And that—that's kind of the the feeling that I'm not the special one. Is uh, I'm aware of that being there. It's been there my whole life. Of I am the special one. I mean, it, it's subtle, but it's been there. And I'm, I guess, yeah. This this work has been about exploring how true that is and exploring how it how consistently it's there and then conversely coming to terms with the opposite actually being true or or not i mean that that's a little stark to put it but but coming to terms with the fact that no i am vulnerable i am flawed i am on this human plane with everyone else and there's as you said there's no way to get out of this subway car this is this is where i am and this is what life is Yes. And that's, but but honestly, that that's kind of I think I don't think I can I fully sunk into that understanding. I think I'm still resisting it. You know, I I have been a little bit depressed lately because I think I am resisting that idea, or that idea is is demoralizing. Yes. And you know, Sagar, yes, be gentle with yourself because in my experience, to begin to understand that I will never transcend my humanness, no matter how special I am, and I get, and we all, each are, we're unique living beings who will never exist again in this way, and never did before, right? So there is that specialness of Sagar and Kim in this moment. And yet, we will not transcend what it means to be human beings. It's not possible, you know, even no matter how much I study or learn or become rich or become enlightened, I will still get sick, grow older, die, right? I will lose everybody I love. Mm -hmm. um, things won't go my way. And yet, yeah. you know, I get to, if I can let go of that search for the transcendent, then I can experience the joy that is right here. Right. Yeah, the, the joy is here and it's accessible and I, I have accessed it and I will continue to access it, hopefully, increasingly. Um, however, yeah, I mean, I, I think part of what you're speaking to is why I'm experiencing some of that, you know, 4 a.m. depression and anxiety is this coming to terms. And this has been brought on by, I guess, COVID shaking up everything. This has been brought on by me, you know, being firmly in my late 30s and kind of coming to terms with with this just being what my life is and not this 
magical place that I thought I was headed towards. Um, and yeah, I, th- I mean, right now I'm a little bit caffeinated and I'm a little bit excited to be talking to you. So those feelings are a little bit at bay. I'm, I'm honestly having a hard time. You know, during the day, I'm a little bit feeling purposeful. I could still, look, I'm doing a podcast. People are going to listen to this. People are going to like it, maybe, but I can fantasize that they will. And so that's getting me higher. And and so I'm getting further away from maybe that that feeling of vulnerability that's there. And I think this is just my own pattern is during the day I'm you know, I, I don't really have access to it. it. It comes up at night, this this fear of a very either a bleak future or just being a fear of being ordinary. Yes, yes. And you're not alone with this idea of like fear of the mundane, fear of the ordinary, fear of Fear of certain plans or ideas that one has about oneself and one's life, mm. of them not maybe coming to fruition or something. Um, and I guess, again, two, a couple points. Like, one, be nice to yourself. You know, those that the way you're relating to that story is important. Right, the way you relate to anybody's story is important. So being able to hold that with kindness, with patience, I'm going to guess you have a pretty good idea of where that came from and why. Yeah. Right? And so to be able to honor that, right? And also be able to regard it as a dream, you know? Um, it's not, there's no substance to that. That's again sort of a separation. This other life that's waiting somehow for me. This other life that I'm supposed to have had. Yeah, a, a dream is such a great way to put it because that that is how it is. Like most often I'm not even aware that I'm dreaming. I'm I'm just in the dream and like yeah, these are all the things that are coming my way that that there's some there that I'm heading towards and it's it's you know, I experience that as, as an inevitability. And then I kind of get like high off it. And I guess it's different for everyone. The way, you know, the way it shows up in my mind, and maybe it's different for me because of, you know, particular traumas and the fact that I'm a comedian. And so maybe this grandiose mechanism has been, you know, really fed and is, is perhaps more powerful for me. But I often get these, uh, it's hard, you know, it's hard to put language to it, but I, I would maybe best describe it as a subtle, very subtle, it's, it's like a constellation of images and feelings. And, you know, there's this undercurrent of like excitement and grandiosity. And it, 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 it's, it's at times most powerful when I'm caffeinated and listening to music. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like, for most of my life, this, this, this element is so undetected, yet I'm beginning to understand how much it actually controls me, this, this belief in a there. And yeah, as we talked about with, with the practice of you know, really looking at it and being aware of it without getting caught up in it, you, I, I begin to experience it as not having any substance. There's no solidity to, this, to these images. They're just images and they're just these arisings. And but it really requires that that experience of knowing and and 
because intellectually, I've uh, look, I've studied Buddhism a long time, and I've, I've said this before, just with regards to this intellectual understanding of impermanence and vulnerability, and of course, I'm not going to live forever. Of course, I'm not going to, you know, levitate above everyone. But but that that is maybe the feeling that I have sometimes when I'm caught in this dream of a there is that it's all just um, waiting for me, and you know that that's kind of been the jet fuel of so much of my happiness over the years is, is just this anticipation of this inevitability of a future there, right? And I, I appreciate your encouragement, too, to be gentle on myself for this and also bow to the jet fuel, this, this delusion of a there. I don't have to hate myself for having it. I, I could be compassionate and, and recognize that it has served a purpose for me and it's, it's helped me survive. And now I'm possibly strong enough to to not need it anymore. But but right now I'm not quite there. I'm still struggling at times to accept, you know, just, just that this is it. This right now, this moment of reality is all there is. And I'm really in, in it with everyone else. I'm I'm not on a separate plane. Yes, and it takes you know, it takes practice to live in reality, to live in right now. It takes a lot of practice and it also it, and it helps develop your confidence. And through confidence, and you build trust in yourself. So that which, um, which did serve you, and you can honor it as a, you know, a mechanism that was useful to you at one time, you can more easily allow it to have less energy. You know, I hate the idea of saying, like, you can let go. Well... I don't know. If you could have let go, you would have done it a long time ago. Me too. So it's not so simple as that. <laughs> right, right. But I do think it is you're sort of building different habits of mind and developing your own confidence in this moment without, you know, needing to fabricate anything, you know, to uh, make anything happen that's not happening. Mm. Um, and in doing so, I believe then we all have more ability to access that what, like what's really available, what's put, you know, potentially available. And there's a great quote by Bill Murray. I'm going to have to send it to you, Sagar. I don't have it at my fingertips. Okay. But he talks about having worked with the um, improv man, Del Close. Yep. And about how Dell taught him something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, that he had to just go out there on stage with empty pockets mm. and trust. Like, that's how you do it, you know? And when I read his quote, I thought, yes, that's life. Yeah. You know, that's life. That's, and, and, and that's a, you know, a comic, the most talented one, because you're really just present with your vulnerabilities, with the audiences. And when you can be present like that, then you can see everything available in each moment, right? To be funny, to be kind, to be whatever it is. It's all, you know, your wisdom, you you won't miss it. Yeah, I guess when I'm out of this, I guess, unhooked from the spell of the future, and and then also worrying, all all of the stuff that's happening, and I'm, I'm... truly present to all of what's happening in a, in a more grounded way that's, again, scary, which is why I was off in my head before. But but with that, the things that I do have emerge 
in a much more vivid and beautiful way, such as, you know, the ground, the earth I'm standing on, the food I'm eating. I, I guess when I drop all of the, I guess, asp- not aspirations, but when I drop the, maybe d- the dream of where I want to go in life, I'm just left with the, the taste of this apple. And and that, that lends itself to gratitude. That That's kind of what I wanted to, I guess, end on too, is is to be... This practice of gratitude, you know, emerges with presence. Yes, I'm so glad that you brought this full circle, Sagar. Um, So the gratitude enables us to see what we have. And when we know what we have, we can give. They're Mm. very intertwined. And, you know, in the Buddhist um, tradition, it said there are these six perfections starts with generosity, ethical behavior, uh, patience, diligence, uh, meditation, and wisdom. So these six perfections, these six qualities that we work on. And you can't be generous, really, or get on the path. It's very hard, at least, without having this sense of gratitude. So that makes it even more important. It's it's like... um, a reality check. Totally. Uh, let me actually grab my gratitude journal. It's right on my nightstand. Okay. If you're not familiar, a common gratitude practice is to each night write down three things from the day that you are grateful for. You know, I keep a, a notepad right next to my desk or my nightstand. And, you know, a lot of times it feels forced and I don't want to do it. Oftentimes I don't do it. But over time, when I look back and read some of the entries, I, I realize how lucky I am because so often it's mm. uh, my life is shitty. These are all the reasons that everything sucks. And then I look back and read and I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm a lucky guy. Uh, let's see here. On a past a recent Sunday, I, I went to Central Park to meet my friend. Uh, he had a cookie for me. I didn't eat all of it. It was one of these black and white classic New York cookies. I, I, it's just too much sugar in one sitting for me. Uh, but he thought of me. That was nice. <laughs> After that, I, I went to my friend's patio for dinner. Let's see here. I made some lunch with my girlfriend. This is a couple days later. That was nice. I got to read a... I had some time in the afternoon to read. That was also nice. So so anyway, over time, it's like, wow, I'm doing pretty good. I'm living a life full of, of good things. And, and then so over time, my orientation becomes positive. Yes. And, you know, the idea of lucky, of having good fortune... Um, that really is an, a manifestation. You're, you're being able to apprehend your luck, your good fortune, is a manifestation of your inherent wisdom, mm. right? Of your good heart. Because each of us, you know, there are things we can control in our lives, and certainly um, all of us, it's important to see when our decisions have been useful and helpful and continue with that effort. But there's also an aspect of our lives, a very large one, that's entirely out of our control. Mm. And that's where the luck is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What got us here to this moment. And all of us have some of that good fortune simply by being human beings. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. 
Yeah, and then as I as I do this, and I, I admit I there are weeks that go by where I don't touch this thing, but but over time I, it, I I can feel that gratitude in real time as I'm having the meal, as I'm having you know the walk or whatever, and it just highlights again it's 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 we're not forcing a different narrative that isn't there. It just points to how much I overlook all of these great things in my life and how much I overemphasize all of the 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 things that aren't so great. And, and it just it, it almost just corrects the balance a little bit. Yes, that's perfect, Sagar. It's exactly yeah. what it does. It creates, right now, where many of us, at least most of us here in the U.S., are very unbalanced toward the negative. Mm. Like you said, toward the lack, what we don't have, but also what we don't like, what we don't like about ourselves, what's bad about the world. And that really just causes a lot of discouragement and even despair, depression, right, nihilism. So balancing that with an understanding of what we really actually have, what is beneficial in the world, in ourselves, in each other, the resources that we have, well, that makes us less despairing. We can see, yes, indeed, there are problems, and there are ways to address these problems. We have the ability in ourselves and in each other. Yeah, and and if if the problems are beyond us, you know, or if they one day become beyond us, that that's that's just part of existence, and we're that that's part of the shared human condition. And there's a little bit of surrender in that too. There is. There's surrender in what you can do and what you can't do, and. Taking a long view, nothing is beyond us in the sense that uh, perhaps, Sagar, in our lifetimes, poverty will not be wiped out. So in that way, you know, wiping out, eradicating poverty is not possible in our lifetime. But it is possible in the future, and it's certainly true that our actions can help contribute to a time when there is no more poverty. I 100% agree there. Um, but my mind's going to, like, what, you know, what would you say to the person who has a terminal illness who's, well, I mean, there's, this is beyond me. I'm going to die in six months. I mean, these are things I myself fear getting. And, and and I guess that's where I, that's where I kind of bring in this perspective of so maybe it's a little bit clumsy or, not not perfect the way I'm applying it, but just maybe this this idea of surrender, the peace in the surrender, yes, that that maybe what yeah. we can't solve is you know an unavoidable part of what this reality is. Yes, old and, age, and, sickness, and death. Yeah, You're right, Sagar. Those are things that are beyond us. Um, and what we can do to not suffer in the face of them. Because it's important to note, from a Buddhist point of view, old age, sickness, and death are not the cause of suffering. The cause of suffering is our ignorance that those are part of life, Mm. uh, that yes, those things will happen, and uh, we can meet them with wisdom, compassion, kindness, and as you say, surrender, 
right? Whatever word you might use in the face of these really real um, painful experiences of being human. And I think I'm maybe slowly getting there, uh, this, this holding of the temporariness of everything. Uh, and as we said, that, that will give way to the, the leaves on the trees being more vivid. I mean, that, that's what makes maybe the world so beautiful is that it's this fleeting experience. You know, Sagar, uh, this is about two or three years ago. Um, I had two friends that were, had cancer. One was a very close old friend, and one was a young man named Ash, who was a student. He was about 30 years old. He had brain cancer for several years. So I, you know, had an experience of being with both of them. And my friend, who I've known for many years, Denise, was um, very much uh, a science-based person. She had no spiritual practice or religious practice, and she was just really afraid. And the last six months of her life, when it was, you know, looked like she was going to die, she was just afraid. Mm. My friend Ash, who also was going through something similar, he was afraid too. And yet he was still available in every moment. You know, and I don't mean he suffered so much in terms of pain and hardship, you know. I was with him at home. He was bedridden. He could no longer speak, Mm. but he otherwise, you know, could communicate. And he was delighted to see, you know, when you'd walk in, he would smile. He was excited for you. About two weeks before he died, he asked, I I said, oh, I won't be here next week. I'm visiting my niece who's having a birthday. He was so joyful and delighted Mm. for my niece. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about, Sagar, being able to be present to what's happening, both the sorrows and the joys. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, I'm... I think the step, what I'm stepping into is that the sorrows, like I'm not immune to the sorrows. You know, they are as much, I am in the soup with everyone else. And, and, and wanting to avoid that stuff is, is pain, is, is causing more pain than, than yeah. If well, you can prevent suffering, then do it. Right. If that's right. that's the you know the rule, uh, uh, venerable venerable Robina Curtin says you know if you're on this bodhisattva path, if you can prevent suffering, you must. Mm-hmm. If you can you must? Mm-hmm. But many times you can't. So it's the wisdom to know that, right? It's the wisdom to know, and like you're saying, you know, you want to. We're all taught to just totally avoid painful, difficult situations and it's many are not avoidable i like that yeah don't don't suffer out of this just misapplication of buddhist wisdom to to like this is life life is dukkha but no no it it doesn't have to necessarily be i mean that is an underlying aspect of all reality is that it's it's uncontrollable um but you know, you can control what you can. That's absolutely for yourself and each other. That's you know, that's the kind of the point. And you're right. That is often a misunderstanding of Buddhism. Like, oh well, it's all suffering. You know, nothing I can do. No, we're saying the exact opposite. 
Mm. Cool. So that we're we're at about an hour. I, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you, Kim. Sagar, thank you so much. It's always great to talk to you. All right, that was episode twelve with Kimberly Brown. You could find her at meditationwithheart.org, and her book is Steady, Calm, and Brave. And that's a wrap on season one of the Anxiety Lab. I'm I'm so uh, thrilled that I was able to do this, thrilled that you were here for it, and stay tuned for more episodes when they come out. Um, You could stay subscribed. That way you'll find out when episodes come out. Um, If you want to follow my pathetic efforts on social media, I am at S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T on Instagram. And uh, I was going to say enjoy your break, but it's not like you're taking a break. You're, you're just going to keep listening to stuff and consuming content. Maybe you won't. Maybe, maybe, maybe whatever hour you're spending listening to me every week, just, just fill it up. Don't fill it up. Spend that. Just take a walk without your headphones. Or not. You do whatever you want. Either way, I'm excited for more. Thanks also to Niall Connolly, whose music you're currently hearing, as well as on the intro... He's graciously let me use it. If you're looking for new musicians to enter your radar, Niall Connolly. So that's it for now. Please take care of yourselves. Be kind to yourselves. I'm still here. I'm still talking to you. All right. That's the end of this episode. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.